praise uh, once again for all that he's already done and all that he will continue to do. Amen. Um, our scripture uh, will be coming from the book of Lamentations, the third chapter, and a very familiar verses, amen, verses 19 uh, through 23. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. Uh, your version may read differently, but I ask that you follow along with me, amen, as we, as we read uh, the Word of God. Lamentations chapter 3, verse 19, and it begins as follows. Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it, and it is bowed down within me. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. <laughs> the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Amen. How could this happen? How, why did this happen to me? These are questions we are probably asked at least once in our lives. Tragedy comes, trials arise, things don't go our way. We ask God, we ask ourselves. Sometimes we don't even ask anyone in particular. How could this happen? Why did this happen to me? <coughs> Just a few days ago, we remembered the tragedy of 9-11 2001. If any of you were around at that time, you remember, people were asking one another, how could this happen? If you turned on the news, that right there was the prevalent question that all the pundits were asking. How could this happen to us? I remember the evening of 9-11. If you, while we were driving to our church for prayer, it seemed like every church house was packed. Every church in, in, uh, on our way was packed. People coming together to, in prayer. And I'm sure that many people wondered if they even didn't ask aloud, they were wondering, God, how could you allow this to happen to our country? It also brings to mind a few days ago, some of us may be reminded of the incident that on September 15th, 1963, 16th Street Baptist Church in Birmingham, Alabama was bombed. Four innocent young girls were killed because of an act of racial hatred during the Civil Rights Movement. Now, I'm pretty sure, looking around, none of us were there at that time, amen. But I'm pretty sure that questions that were prevalent for those that were or how could this happen? How could we, we're just looking to peacefully demonstrate so we could be treated as equals, 
Lord, how can the response be violence? Mm. And how could it be that four innocent children were taken and many others were injured? Lord, how could this happen? Lord, how could you allow this to happen to a church, mm. to a people of God? Many of us can even reconcile that we ask these questions many, of t many times through issues that we encounter in our lives. We lose a loved one and ask God, how, why did this happen? How could you take this person from me? Whether it was through illness or something unexpected, Lord, how could you take this special person out of my life? Lord, I need this person. Why are you doing this to me? Tragedy strikes in our life. We go through sickness and pain. And we ask God, why is this happening to us? Why am I going through this? Issues of hardship, loss of income, loss of home, loss of friends, loss of relationships. We ask God, how could this happen to us? But it's not new. We ourselves have been asking these questions probably since the day we could understand and experience loss, pain, and hurt. We recognize that over 20 years ago on September the 11th, many of us, many people were asking that same question. 60 years ago, 1963, when they bombed that church, they were asking that question. It's been questions that have been asked even before we could even think. If you look at it and you read the Bible, you'll see that these are questions that countless men and women have asked God. God, how could this happen? Why did this happen to me? And this is often followed up with the thought, does God even care? Does he care about what I'm going through? Does he care how I'm feeling? Does he care about how I'm hurting? As we'll look at this afternoon, I hope you see that the answer is yes. Amen, God does know what you're going through. He knows how you feel. He knows how you hurt. He, and guess what? You're not a passing thought. He didn't forget about you. But more importantly, God not only knows, but he cares. And not only does he care, he makes provision. So when I despair, we can have hope. So if I can take for a subject on this afternoon, it is remember me. Remember me. Let every heart pray. Precious and all wise God, we give your name all the praise, all the glory, and all the honor. Lord, we thank you for you showing yourself faithful. We showing for you showing your love and kindness upon us throughout this day. And we're thankful, precious Lord, even now for your word. Lord, you tell us that man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So we pray, precious Lord, that your word will be preached and taught and proclaimed on this afternoon. Lord, I pray that I not speak or declare my thoughts, my desires, my wants, 
my own suppositions, Lord. But let nothing be proclaimed but the word of truth, your holy word. I pray, precious Lord, that as your word goes forth, Lord, that we could receive it, that, Lord, that we would look to perform it so that you will be glorified. We pray, precious Lord, that all that is done, that all that we continue to do, let it be done in decency and in order, that you will be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. When we look at the book of Lamentations, uh, it was written after the fall of Jerusalem, the destruction of the temple around 586-587 B.C. by Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian Empire. The people of Judah were taken into captivity because of their unrepentant sin and continued idolatry. While the author of the book is not plainly identified, many historians credit the writing to Jeremiah. And if you'll remember that it was Jeremiah who prophesied to the people of Judah in the book of Jeremiah that the Lord's judgment was soon at hand. They would see destruction because they had turned to false gods and away from him. And here in Lamentations, we see a firsthand account of that destruction. When we think of the word lamentation, it's an act of, it's a, it is an act of lamenting. And a, to, la to lament means to cry out in grief. It is a great expression of sorrow, mourning, or regret. And in chapter 1, we see the writer beginning with the same grief that we, so use, so, that we use so often. He says, how? In this chapter, he grieves and mourns over the condition of Jerusalem and its people. He sees destruction, he sees death, he sees hopelessness, and he sees anguish. He sees all of these things scattered about, and he's grieved. He continues on in chapter two, and once again, the writer laments with the word, how? He laments that the destruction and ruin is that he witnessed this because of God's anger and judgment against the people because of their sin. He mourns because he sees people in despair. He sees the land ruined, the temple destroyed, all because they failed to obey God. But then when we see in chapter 3, we see the writer turning from the people's perspective to a personal perspective. Here he testifies of his personal feelings of grief pain, and hopelessness. If you read just the first 18 verses, you see a man who is broken and grieving. As one commentary puts it, the grieving process that the writer is going through involves the whole person, physically, mentally, psychologically, and spiritually. So by the time you get to verses 17 and 18, you see someone who seems to be completely without hope. He writes that he is bereft of peace, that he has forgotten what happiness is, that his endurance has perished, and so has his hope from the Lord. So when we survey these beginning chapters and verses, 
we see two polar opposite spectrums of suffering. You see the suffering of the people of Judah caused by their very own sin and disobedience. And that we're used to. We, we, we say it all the time, you reap what you sow. If you do wrong, you deserve to be punished. But then we see the other by looking at the prophet. Here he is doing the work of the Lord. He's declaring, thus saith the Lord, and yet he suffers too. The Lord didn't whisk him away and put him in some lavish mansion while Jerusalem was under siege. No, he witnessed the destruction firsthand, and he saw and he felt the despair, not just of the people, but personally. So one thing we need to remember is that the Bible never teaches us that while we're here on earth, that life will be all roses, peaches, and cream. Rather, we see as we study God's word, people and individuals suffering trials and hardship. We see that because of the fall of man, creation was subjected to a curse. Look back in Romans 8, 20 through 22. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, and hope that creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in pains of childbirth until now. Through that we see the whole of creation is enduring suffering, all because of the fall, all because of the sin of man. But also we see the church has been called to suffer. Look at John 16:33. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. You see humanity suffering. We see the church suffering. But when we look in the Bible and we study the Gospels, more importantly, we see that even our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, that he suffered, that he wasn't exempt from suffering. When he walked this earth in flesh, he taught his disciples that for him to complete his work here on earth, he would have to suffer. He was mocked, rejected, despised, beaten, bruised, tortured, crucified, all unjustly because he was perfect and without sin. But through this we see that he made a way for us to be reconciled. So throughout his world we see suffering in humanity. But one thing we don't, we need to remember, we need to keep in our minds is that even though we see that there is suffering, we also recognize that we serve a holy God who is good. James 1.17 says, For every good and gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. We see a God who reigns on the just and unjust, as Matthew 5 and 45 tells us. But we see that, there, that we serve a God who is good. Amen. And so when we come to our passage on this afternoon, when we look at Lamentations, uh, verse 19, the, the writer opens up by saying, remember, remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. Here he is reflecting 
maybe even preying on his condition. He's afflicted. His home, Jerusalem, has been laid to waste. He's tasted bitterness of this life. So he says he remembers this, and he won't forget it. He remembers this, and he's grieved. He remembers this, and he is discouraged. He remembers this, and, his, and he becomes depressed. So one may ask the question, but will God remember? Yes, God does remember. God remembers when we're crying out in despair. He does remember. When we're grieving and hurting and wondering how this came to be, yes, God remembers. When we look and we study his word, we see throughout his word, he remembers his people and he remembers his promises. In Genesis 8 and 1, he remembered Noah when he had sent the water, the flood, to overtake the earth and wipe out humanity, wipe out all living things, he remembered Noah and all those that were on the ark. And he made the wind blow over the earth and the waters subsided. When the Hebrew people were enslaved in Egypt and cried out to God in Exodus 2 and 2.24, he showed us that he heard their groaning and he remembered their covenant. He remembered his covenant with them and he sent a deliverer. Acts 10.31 even shows us how God remembered an uh, unworthy, unclean, Gentile centurion named Cornelius. And he sent Peter, a Jew, to preach a word of salvation to that household. Yes, God does remember. But when we think about the word remember, it may come into our minds, that, well, does that mean he forgets and he has to recall? No, God never forgets. He's all-powerful, and he is all-knowing. He never forgets us. Isaiah 49, 15 through 16 puts it plainly like this. Can a woman forget her nursing child, that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even those may forget, yet I will not forget you. Behold, I have engraved you on the palms of my hand. Your walls are continually before me. Just thinking about that just brings me joy. We are engraved on his hand because we are his workmanship. So when he is performing his work, he never forgot us. But we are always constantly in his rem remembrance. We are his church. He sees us. He knows us. So we, like the prophet, we have reason to hope. Amen. And we see that as we go from these opening verses to verse 21, the prophet says, this I call to my mind, and therefore I have hope. All of a sudden, there's a sudden shift in his tone. The author goes from grief to hope. He goes from despair and he, he, he goes from depression, he goes from grieving, and all of a sudden he says, I hope. I call this to my mind. Therefore, I have hope. Right there, even in that unspoken shift, is a powerful illustration. You see that when the prophet was thinking and reflecting on his pain, he was in despair. 
But when he took his eyes off of himself and his pain and turned his attention to the Lord, all of a sudden he was filled with hope. Psalm 42, 11 says, Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil with me? Hope in God. For I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. The theologian Warren Wiersbe wrote it like this. He says, Unbelief causes us to look at God through our circumstances, and this creates hopelessness. But faith enables us to look at our circumstance, circumstances through the reality of God, and this gives us hope. So in knowing that God remembers us, we more importantly need to remember God. We need to remember who God is. We need to remember what God has done. Because in this fallen world, he is the only way of hope. 2 Corinthians 4 and 16 starts, So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us an eternal is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen but to the things that are unseen for the things that are seen are transient but the things that are unseen are eternal so we're not looking and focusing or we should not focus on our circumstances and situations because these things will cause us to lose hope but then when we turn away from these things that we see and we turn to God. We don't see him, but we know he exists. We see the effect that he has in our lives. We, see, we look out and we see the nature and the beauty and all that was created. We recognize that, yes, he is real, and yes, he is able. So we focus on the one who is able to do all things but fail. Yeah. So then that begs the question, what is it about God specifically that gave the prophet hope? What is it that he realized that we can take with us now so that we can maintain and that our hope and trust in the Lord will be increased? There are three things he recalls in the next two verses. In verse uh, 32a, he says, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. You see, in a world where people will love you today and hate you tomorrow, mm. it's comforting to know that God the master, creator of all, the true and sovereign, all-powerful God loves us in such a way. Mm. See, 1 John 4 and 8 says, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. Mm. See, God is love. So he is able to love us more than our natural minds can even comprehend. On, you see, the scripture reads that his love for us is steadfast. That's a word we don't, we don't use much today, steadfast. Amen. Deuteronomy 7 and 9 says that, uh, that, the, that, Therefore the Lord your God is the faithful God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. When we look at the word steadfast, it's defined as firmly loyal, constant, unchanging, and faithful. Mm. Praise God that his love for us is faithful. Amen. Praise God that his love for us is unchanging. Praise God that his love for us is firmly loyal. Praise God that his love for us doesn't stop. Mm. 
See, this is what we call agape love. Agape love is faithful and committed regardless of the actions of the object. You see, we love and we, we show love to one another. And oftentimes our love is swayed by the actions of, the, of that person. If they treat me wrong, they speak wrong, if they do us wrong, then sometimes our love may waver. But we see that the love of God is faithful and committed regardless of what we do. So we, 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 when we look at that agape love, it's summed up perfectly perfectly in 1 Corinthians 13, starting at chapter 4. It says, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. That is who God is. God is that love. He embodies that love. And he shows that type of love to us even right now. So I give God praise. But then when I look at this passage of scripture, I like even more how some of the other translations reference this verse. The NIV version, among others, says, Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. Malachi 3 and 6 says, For the Lord, for I the Lord do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. You see, the love of the Lord keeps us. He didn't call us out to set us up for failure. He didn't call us out of darkness as a trap and saying to to fool us, but rather he called us to show us that his love will keep us from falling. When the trials of life is raging like a storm, sometimes even like a hurricane, it's because of God's love that we can persevere. Second Corinthians 4 says we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. You see, where the world will beat us down, his love lifts us up. That's why the hymn writer can say love love lifted me it's because of his love that we have salvation even right now and his love doesn't leave us it doesn't run away even when we think we're unlovable God's love is still there Romans 8 puts it perfectly who shall separate us from the love of Christ shall tribulation or distress persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or the sword but I for I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So church, the first thing we need to remember about God is God's love. His love never ceases. And because his love never ceases, we have his mercies that never come to an end. That's what it says on the second part of that verse. His mercies never comes to an end. Like his love that doesn't end, his mercies do not end. When we think about the word mercy and how it's written and displayed in the Bible, we often see it from two perspectives. One way we see mercy is when a person is in need of help. We see mercy and compassion that's given. 
when we read the Gospels, we see all throughout people calling out to the Lord Jesus for mercy, and we see him showing mercy. We see in uh, Matthew 17, there was the father whose son was demon-possessed, who was experiencing seizures. He asked Jesus for mercy, and Jesus healed and delivered his son. There were the blind men in Matthew 20 who asked Jesus for mercy, and their sight was restored. Some of us have even experienced that kind of mercy. We needed help. We were in pain. We needed to be rescued. We were in trouble. We didn't know what tomorrow would look like. Sometimes we didn't even know how to pray ourselves. And we just cried out, Lord, have mercy. And he heard our cries and he delivered us. But we also see mercy throughout the Bible as it relates to his compassion and his forgiveness. Psalm 51 and 1 says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. You see, it's because of that mercy, it's because of that compassion that God has for us, that the Lord has for us, that we don't get the punishment that we truly deserve. You see, when we're uh, disobedient and, and insist on our own way, We thank God that instead of him punishing us with the wrath that we deserve, he shows us mercy. You see, we live in a world that's merciless. Society is quick to cancel you. You did this to me in 1982. I hate you for it, and I'll never forgive you. You said this to me, and I don't want you ever in my life again. As a matter of fact, I hope the worst for you. I, I hope mm. God strikes you down. Mm. But thank God that that's not how God operates. God, I thank God that his great love extends mercy to us. Yeah, Psalm 78 and 38 says, Yet he, being compassionate, atoned for their iniquity and did not destroy them. He restrained his anger often and did not stir up all his wrath. You see, we as humanity, we in our humanity, it don't take much for our anger to be stirred up. And when our anger is stirred up, oh, oh man, you know, having to help the person that our anger is reflected upon. Because we see so many things that, we see so many things that, that, that are done in anger. We see murder and death done in anger. We, 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 we see lies and gossip all done in anger. But thank God that God's anger, that, that he has restrained his anger. Imagine, just look at what we do in humanity to each other in our anger. And multiply that times 150 billion trillion, whatever. Imagine what God can do to us in his anger. But thank God that he restrains his wrath. So we thank God that because he has restrained his, man, he restrained his wrath, that we are receiving his mercy. And like that, like his love doesn't cease, his mercies likewise don't cease. They don't end. The prophet made it even more abundantly clear in the beginning of the next verse, in verse 23. He says, they are new every morning. The hymn writer William Runyon had this verse in mind when he declared, morning by morning, new mercies I see. Some of y'all, if y'all, if y'all follow Pastor Josh, he says it every morning on Facebook. Christian, his, new, his, new, his mercies are new this morning. And when we think about that, that is a daily message of hope. 
that every time we open our eyes, every time we have the breath of life in our lungs, we have God's mercies that have been extended towards us, that have been made new once again. So whatever it is that we have yet to face, we don't even know what the day of what the, what the remaining remainder of the day will, will be like. But God, his mercy has already been extended to us so that we could go through it and we can deal with it and have faith that he is truly a loving God. His mercy is constant. Every day, Christian, you have been blessed with the mercy and the compassion of God. So though it may not, so though it may look like you're on your own, truly you are not because he is with you. You may feel like no one cares, but truly we can see that he is caring for you. You may feel like things are hopeless, but here he is and even in this word, he is giving you hope. So we don't just remember his love, but we remember that God has shown us mercy. Amen. And when the prophet remembers that God's love never ceases, he remembers that his mercies never end and are new every morning. He sums it up by remembering that God, the God that we serve is faithful. He declares at the latter part of that verse, great is your faithfulness. You see, not only is he faithful, but he is greatly faithful. Great is his faithfulness. It's faithfulness more than we can even ask or think. You see, we sing the song, our God is greater, our God is stronger, our God is higher. So is his faithfulness towards us. His faithfulness towards us surpasses what we can even conceive in our natural minds. You see, we've had faithful family in our lives. We've had friends in our lives that we've deemed faithful. And likewise, we say we've been faithful to others. We're, we're faithful church members. We're faithful employees in our jobs. We're faithful friends. But I can bet somewhere along the way that that one that you said was faithful, that something happened that shook your faith in that person. Likewise, I can also say that someone's faith in us was shaken by our own actions. But God's faithfulness is not like ours because it is who he is, like he is love, he is faithfulness. He can never become unfaithful. Psalm 89:33 says it, but I would not remove him from my steadfast love or be false to my faithfulness. He is faithful in all things. So he is faithful in his word. And if he is faithful in his word, we see that, yes, he is faithful in his love. And we see, yes, that he is faithful in his mercy. Exodus 34 and 6 just put it like this. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. So because of these things, church, we have reason to hope. Hebrews 10 and 23 says it like this. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. So remember, church, that not only is he, not, remember, remember not only is he the God of love, remember not only is he the God of mercy, but that he is also the God that who is faithful. So when we reflect on these things, we remember his love. We remember his mercy. We remember his faithfulness. When we take all of these things and combine it together, we remember and we see all of these things in the gospel of Jesus Christ. John 3:16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, 
That's his steadfast love. That whoever believes in him should not perish. That's his never-ending mercy. Come on, but have eternal life. That's his great faithfulness. You see, God allowed the prophet to see and inspired him to write that there was a future hope. And we, the church right now, are walking in and experiencing that hope. You see, we know the gospel message. It was because of the fall and sin of man that we were separated from God. We deserve his anger and wrath. And no matter how many sacrifices we could make, it would not satisfy the true and holy God. It took a holy and perfect sacrifice to atone for our sins. So Jesus, God the Son, perfect in all his ways, wrapped himself in this imperfect flesh. That's love. Mm. He took ridicule, chastisement, mockery from that which he created. That's love. Then he took the beating, took the stripes, gave his body, shed his blood through the hands of his creation. Church, that's love. He took the punishment that we deserved. We deserve the beating. We deserve the stripes. We deserve to be crucified. We deserve our blood to be shed. But he took it upon himself. That's not just love, but that's mercy. He was crucified and he died on a cross to redeem those who would believe from the curse by becoming a curse. The perfection, the, the, the God that is perfection became a curse for us. That's love and that's mercy. But we thank God and we praise God that Jesus Christ, he did not stay dead, Amen. but he rose from the grave with all power, power over sin and power over death. So that not only could we be reconciled back to the father, but that we could also have eternal life. Church, great is his faithfulness. So we, the church, can rejoice in hope because we have received and will receive what he is faithful to perform. But you have not received, but if you have not yet received Christ in your life and you are still subject to receiving punishment for your sins, but we give God praise that the sinner man does not have to stay that way. If you repent of your sins, change your mind, turn away from your sin, and forsake your old way of life, and with saving faith, turn to Jesus Christ, placing your hope and your trust and your faith in him, and believe, then you could be saved. Yeah. Romans 10, 9-10, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Great is his faithfulness. So likewise, you can have hope. Likewise, church, we can have hope because we remember who God is. Amen. We remember that he is love. So we have hope. We can remember that he is merciful. He took that which we did not deserve, which we did deserve, and he took that upon himself. And so we see that he is a God of mercy. So we remember his mercies upon us. And we remember that his mercies are not just, are, are new each and every day. So we remember that he 
is faithful. His word is true. His word is faithful. So we can remember who God is. So that when we are going through trials and situations, when we're going through circumstances that threaten to drown us in despair and to, to, take, to, to waver our faith in him, we can look to God, we can look to his word, and we can remember that not only does he remember us, but he cares for us. So that if we can remember these things, that we can take our focus off of ourselves and we can remember who we serve. We, we serve the true and living God, perfect in all of his ways, the God that is love, the God that is merciful, and the God that is faithful. Amen. 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 Let every heart pray. Precious and all-wise God, we give your name the praise, the glory, and the honor. Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, many of us have can reconcile that we ask this question, Lord, how could this happen? But we thank God that like the, the writer of this passage, Lord, that we can recall to our minds and have hope that it's because of your steadfast love that never ceases. It's because of your steadfast love that we are not consumed. It's because of your mercy that doesn't end, but are new every morning, that we continue to have hope and that we can continue to have hope in our lives, Lord. So even now, Lord, we don't know what tomorrow may face. We don't even know what it's going to be like when we leave this building. But we're trusting in you, Lord. We trust in you because you love us in such a way. Our salvation wasn't a setup, Lord. It wasn't a setup for failure, but we thank you that you set us up for life, for eternal life. You set us up to be reconciled back to you. And for that, Lord, we are truly grateful. We continue to give your name the praise, the glory, and the honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.